Well, Merry Christmas to you. It's good to see you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. We got folks kind of in the overflow area over there to y'all. You know, we're sorry you're there, but we're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, enjoy the service. It's the same service either way. Uh, we got another one coming up at 1030. You know, and uh, this is a cool day. I mean, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, that's, that's all cool. Uh, we do a little bit different today than normal four services and all that because we never know what to expect. And then this afternoon, this evening, we got Christmas Eve services. I mean, the Christmas Eve Eve service, you know. And uh, at the end of the service, Joe will tell you about that. If you don't have tickets, how you can get in and all that stuff. You can get in partly by giving me money, and I'll sneak you in early. That works every time. But, you know, you know legitimately, there's a way to do all that. So we're, we're so glad. Christmas Eve and Christmas, you know, it's kind of like Christmas is kind of now at the point where it's kind of like game time, right? If you play sports, tomorrow's the big day. Today, it's just like, you know, everything's hopefully for you calming down. Some of you have already had Christmas stuff before. Some of you are going to have it later next week. I get all that. But it's the time maybe hopefully you start reflecting about Jesus a little bit more. I know some of you have, but, you know, I know there's a lot of shopping. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of worry and all of that. Well, hopefully that's kind of coming to an end and you get to just focus on family and friends and faith and those things that, that really matter. We're going to finish up our Christmas series today. Uh, we're in a series entitled The One. It's based on the understanding that God throughout the pages of the Old and New Testament promises something, promises us someone, and Jesus is the one he promises. And, and, and what we say about this message series anyways, every one of these uh, messages has been this, in Jesus God has kept his promise. He's the one. Whatever God has promised, in Jesus, it's where he keeps it. And he is the one. And we've been in the, the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been in the first chapter of these first three messages. Today we'll be in chapter 2. And Matthew, he wrote his book, his Gospel. There are four Gospels. He wrote his Gospel. About the time Mark and Luke wrote theirs, around 60 AD, give or take a year. And Christianity, they didn't call it that yet, but the followers of Jesus have been around about 30 years. And guys like Matthew, who was an original apostle, they were starting to, to kind of fade away. They were getting older. And so guys began to say, we need to be sure people understand the story of Jesus. And they began to write them. John would eventually write one 20, 25 years later. Matthew looked at his people, the Jews, and realized that as Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile, and it was, that fewer and fewer Jews were coming to Jesus. And part of that was because the Jewish people as a rule had rejected him. The Jewish leaders had rejected him. From the very beginning, they rejected him. And so Matthew wrote a gospel, a gospel that's universal, that anyone can read it and understand it. But he really directed it towards his people, the Jews. And he wanted them to see that whatever God had promised in their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, whatever God had promised, Jesus was fulfilling that. In fact, he fulfilled it in ways they never imagined. And whatever the Messiah was to be, whoever the Messiah was, regardless of what they thought about it, Jesus was the Messiah. And so he begins his entire gospel saying, this is the record. This is the story of the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. In other words, he is the guy. In that first message, I told you that Jesus is the one who was the one. It was him. 
And then as Matthew begins to unfold the story of Jesus in the rest of the first chapter, I tell it with you that Jesus, he is the one who saves. And that Jesus, last week, he is the one who was God. We talked about the virgin birth. And then the day we come to a really important part of the Christmas story, one that is familiar to just about anyone, even if they don't follow Jesus. People have heard about the wise men. They've heard of those guys. We're going to come there in chapter 2. And I'm going to talk to you about the one who we follow. The one who we follow in all of life, ultimately when all is said and done. Either you follow Jesus or you do not. And here's what I want you to see as I close out our Christmas series. Jesus is Lord. And because of this, we must follow him. He and he alone is Lord. And because of this, you and I must follow him. And so we, we kind of take today as Christmas Eve, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just want to talk about a Christmas journey, a beautiful Christmas journey that occurs. And all of us, you know, we come to here to Christmas Eve, and this Christmas for all of us has been some type of journey, hasn't it? I mean, it's every Christmas is a little bit different for you. And sometimes, you know, you're hosting it, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're cooking, and sometimes you're not. You know, sometimes you're traveling. I mean, it's, everyone's different. And sometimes you feel like you got to buy a lot of presents. And sometimes, like this year, I'm like, I'm tired of buying presents, man. If, if I show up, there's your present. Man, that's kind of good like that, you know? People say, you coming? Yeah. You bringing gifts? I'm bringing me. That's going to be good enough. You know, this is, this is like the second Christmas now I've had with, with, without Debbie since she's passed. And, it's, and you know, and, and it's different. It's different having Christmas that way. You know, you, I, I try to figure it all out, you know? Every Christmas becomes its own journey. Every Christmas is its own story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come. To worship him. Oh, the story of the Magi, the wise men, sometimes called the three kings. If you have a nativity, you, you probably have them. I mean, Debbie collected nativities, but, but until last year, we had 60-something nativities. And I gave like 50-something away. I'm down to like 10. You know, some of those nativities, they have the wise men. There's always three, right? And, and they're always at the stable, because you can't do it the right way. Because the wise men weren't there the night he was born. Luke chapter 2, they weren't there. The shepherds were there. The wise men, they were hundreds of miles away probably. Weeks away, maybe months. You can't, you can't put your nativity out there on, in your house and then go four blocks away and put the wise men coming. You can't do that. <laughs> it's not going to work that way. Now we always have three not because the New Testament says that. In fact, a lot of what we talk about the wise men in the songs we sing, like We Three Kings of Orient are, that's not actually found in the New Testament. We use three because there were three gifts. And, and we call them kings, they weren't. In fact, to understand the Magi, and all we know about them from the New Testament comes here in chapter 2 of Matthew. We know other things from outside the Bible. Other sources tell us something about them, but not a lot. But if you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, 600 years before Jesus, 
Daniel and those guys, his friends, get taken to the area of the Babylonians, and they stay there a little while until the Persians defeat those guys, the Medo-Persian Empire. And Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they become, in essence, magi, wise men. And probably over the centuries, that group of people, and there were more than just those guys. I mean, there, were, there was a whole group of them. Over time, they're developed by the day of Jesus, just this group, this system, this, this fraternity of magi. And the word magi, obviously, we get our word magician from it, or similar to it. And these guys probably, though we don't know for sure, at the time of Jesus, these guys probably came from Persia. Some say the area of the Babylonians. Same basic, basic thing. For the purposes of our discussion today, they came from Persia. I mean, that's close enough. Here's what you need to realize about these guys. They were brilliant. They served the king. They were advisors to kings, the kings of the Persians. They were diplomats. They were scientists. They were mathematicians. They knew philosophy. They knew politics. They knew astronomy, the study of the stars, and they were dabbled in astrology, the myth of the stars. All of those things. And they weren't kings, but they were advisors to the kings. And most likely, the nobility sent their sons to these guys, these different groups of guys, to educate them, to train them, to teach them. They were king makers. Not that they decided who would be king, but they developed the kings. They were high ranking. They were at the top of the Persian Empire. There was the king, some nobility, and the magi. Now, these magi were students of philosophy and religion. And some of them evidently were still aware of the God of the people of Daniel, of Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And so they understood something, at least somewhat, about the Jewish scriptures. And they understood that in the Jewish scriptures, there were prophecies talking about one who would come. In fact, in particular, there was a prophecy about one who would come up out of Judah, a star out of Judah. In fact, we know from several historians of that day and age, of that first century, guys like Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, that there was a general belief and feeling that at some point from the land of the Jews, someone would come on the world stage that would be a dominating figure in some capacity. So these guys knew something about Yahweh and something about one who was going to come. And it says they saw a star in the east. Literally, it means at its rising, at the point where the star became recognizable. Now, there's lots of debate about what this star is. For instance, and I'll talk about this about more in a minute when we talk about Herod. Jesus was born before 4 BC. Herod died in 4 BC. Jesus was born probably about 4, 5, 6 you know, BC before Christ. You know, how does that work out? Well, it's the way they did the calendar. They got some stuff on. And so people try to figure out what are the, what happened in the sky at that time. Halley's Comet came about 11 BC, but that's too early. We know around 5 or 6 BC, Jupiter and Saturn came together, maybe with Mars, and there was this unique constellation, something, maybe that, maybe not. Maybe it was something else. It really doesn't matter. Most likely, and I just, I just go with it, that God caused something to happen, because God can do that. Listen, if you're going to cause a baby to be born of the Holy Spirit and of Mary, I mean, if you're going to have God become flesh, if you're going to do that, God, God can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, the God who can raise Jesus back to life, is, he just do whatever he wants. So somehow he put a star there, man. And, and they saw it 
when it came, and to them at its rising, it was a signal something was happening. And so they decided, we got to figure this out. And they knew enough to think, this is going to happen in the land of the Jews. And there's going to come a king. And not just any king. They served a king. Understand, there's the Roman Empire, but the Persians had their own empire. They coexisted. And there were other empires too. They served the Persian king. They realized there was another king coming, unlike their king, unlike the king of the Romans, unlike any king, coming from Judah. And so they decided to go decided to take a trip, take a journey. With the permission of their king, they just saddled up and went. Now, we got this picture of these three old guys riding on the camel through the desert, you know, all dressed up, carrying a lot of gold, frankincense, whatever that is, myrrh, whatever that is, all that stuff. Yeah, they ain't going to go far if that happens. There's probably more than three. In fact, I've seen anywhere from 12 to 20. Let's just take a conservative estimate. This particular group of rise men, there were 12. A dozen. But they all had servants because they were wealthy, powerful guys. They're going to have two or three servants. Wouldn't it not be nice if we could all have two or three servants? Sometimes I look at my staff and think, yeah, that's as close as I'll ever get. (laughs) I treat them that way. (laughs) You know. And not only that, but these guys serve the king. You know what? They're going to have go with them soldiers. Oh, not just any soldiers. These aren't the guys that enlisted last week. They're going to have the royal guards. Picture 60 Persians making their way all the way to Jerusalem. And it's not, it's not like it just happened overnight. This is, these guys are diplomats. Word's traveling. Word is going all throughout the area. These guys are coming. These guys are coming. It's getting to the land of the Judeans. And all of a sudden, the area where Herod ruled, word's coming. These guys Coming and people say, What are you coming for? Romans would say, Hey, why are you guys coming? Just, just curiosity. And they say, oh, No, no problem. We just want to go find the king of the Jews. And the Romans didn't care. <laughs> the Jews cared. We want to go find the king of the Jews so we can do one thing. And they said, What's that? Just worship him. Now, I'll explain worship more in a minute, but you understand, they weren't going simply to recognize a king, they were going to worship a Lord. You realize that all of us. When you take our journey in our life, we come from different places. We come from different cultures. And interesting enough, every one of us, on our own unique journey, on our own unique way, we all ended up here today. And we all ended up here for one very simple reason. Jesus. You may not even believe in Jesus. Maybe some family member drug you here. I got it. I had family drag me places before. I had them drag me places I didn't want to go. Mostly to see other family members. I've been there. Maybe you got maybe you just maybe Christmas is your thing. I just every Christmas I feel like I'm a Christian, you know, I'm gonna go to church on Christmas and Easter. That's fine, you're here. This may not even be your church. You may have thought about going to another church and said, now go try this church. For whatever reason you're here, your journey brought you to this place. Just like the Magi's journey took them to Jesus. Verse 3, when Herod, the king, heard this, oh, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Oh, Herod, he's a character man. He's known as Herod the Great, not mentioned much in the New Testament. Outside he is. He was an unbelievable leader in many ways. I mean, he was king of the Jews, but he served at the pleasure of the Romans. I mean, he really, for our purposes, he was king, but he was more like a glorified governor. He was appointed by Caesar eh, somewhere around 39 B.C., Until he died in 4 BC, he built unbelievable cities. 
He fortified the area around Jerusalem. I mean, with the troops under his command, there was peace in Jerusalem. There really was. But he was cruel. I mean, he was not Jewish. He did not deserve to be the king of the Jews. He wasn't a descendant of David. Matthew goes to great lengths to say Jesus came from David. Everybody knew Herod didn't. He was an enemy, and he was part Jewish, part Edomite. He was a pagan. He was a Gentile. He didn't belong there. He was king because Caesar put him there. And he was jealous. And he was always worried someone would take his place, even his own family. Not only did Herod kill Jews, and not only did he kill whoever he wanted, he killed his own family, he killed sons of his, wife, killed in-laws, outlaws, religious leaders. Caesar Augustus said, and using kind of a Greek pun, it's safer to be the pig of Herod than his son. There's a play on the words there for pig and son. He said, it's just hard. he's a horrible guy. We know later on he killed the innocents. This is Herod. He was disturbed. I and mean, he knew these guys were coming. He was troubled. And all the Jews were troubled with him. Because you never knew what Herod might do. They got there. And somewhere along the way, verse 4 tells us this. They're gathering all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. The chief priests came from the Sadducean group. The scribes, more or less, the Pharisees. These were religious leaders. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He knew a Messiah was coming. He knew about the Messiah. They knew about the Messiah. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And then they quote in verse 6, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Way back, Micah wrote 600, 700 years before this. He said, hey, someone's coming out of Bethlehem. And they, they, by, at some point, they knew it was talking about the Messiah. That's where he was going to come. And they all understood this. They all recognized it. And here these guys were coming to Jerusalem, but they needed to, to, to go to Bethlehem. Now here Matthew, once again, is pointing out how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. And then we see what happens in verse 7. Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. In other words, he got them together. He wanted to know, when did you see the star? And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. You guys go. You, 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 you go and you, you find that child. But then you come back and tell me, because, you know, I want to worship too. You know, this reminds me a little bit of Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent came to Eve. He seemed so sincere. Hey, Eve, you know, what did God tell you? Did he, did he say you couldn't eat? Of the tree, she said, I can't eat from the tree. He said, well, because I'll die. He said, you're not going to die. I'm on your side, Eve. Everything's going to be okay. And here's, here's Herod. He says, guys, I, I just want to worship you too. We might say, why didn't he just go with them and find out himself? Well, you understand. These guys were not just, you know, city councilmen strolling in to see if they could meet the king. For all Herod knew, they came from the emperor of the Persians. They were, in essence, above him in life. And they had this unbelievable guard. And they weren't subject to the Romans. And the last thing that Herod's going to do is show up in Bethlehem with these guys and take Jesus. They're not going to let that happen. Their soldiers won't let that happen. And there can't be an international incident because Herod starts a war with Persia. So he says, you guys go. You guys go. You know the amazing thing is that the religious leaders didn't show any interest at all. None. They were just interested in the Messiah. The Messiah's coming. Well, we don't care. You know, 
From the very beginning, Jesus always fought the Jewish system. He fought Herod here. I mean, Herod would eventually come after him. He would flee to Egypt. He didn't know what his family took into Egypt. From the very beginning, there's always opposition to God. There's always opposition to God's plan. But the sad thing isn't even Herod. It's the Jewish leaders. Why didn't they embrace Jesus? Because they were satisfied. It's the battle Jesus faced throughout the Gospels. You see him in constant conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. This system they had in place. This, this system that works for them. And in their mind, they're right with God. They're okay with God. Part of the problem of religion is it makes us feel like we can be okay with God just to who we are and what we do. I am always uncomfortable with religion. I don't consider Christianity truly a religion, classified it that way. It's a, it's a faith proposition. It's a movement of life. And when you take a follower of Jesus and you put us and you classify us as a religion and you break it down into a religion, it begins to fall apart. And some of you come from that background you have a bunch of rules and regulations that you have to keep in order to be considered a follower of Jesus, and it doesn't work that way because it's not a system of rules and regulations. It's a relationship of people who seek him. And there, there, there are churches right now that Christmas really is an annoyance to them. So is Easter because you have to deal with the, the supernatural, the miracles. And you can go to churches right now. Right now, as I'm preaching, we can go to churches not far from here. And to them, Christmas, the virgin birth, and Easter, the resurrection, they'll talk about the importance of the symbol and the meaning. They'll talk about it symbolizes peace and joy. They'll talk about all the things it symbolizes, but they never talk about the difference in their life. They never talk about that. Because to them, that's all it is, is a symbol. Something it represents. Verse 9 says, after hearing this, they went on their way to the star, which had seen in the east, it went on before them, it came up again, and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were so happy. It said they had mega, mega joy. And then verse 11, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want you to get this picture. This is my favorite part, really, of the Christmas story. I like to tell this almost, almost every year. I like to share about how this went down. And I want you to know, these guys, these guys now are traveling from Jerusalem, but a few miles to Bethlehem. And whatever they had worn before, they're going to see Jesus. They're going to see the Messiah. And they put on their Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, man. They got their best stuff on. When I remember growing up, we put our best stuff on to go to Christmas. Even this year at Christmas, I, you know, I, I mean, to go to church, I decorated a little bit more than just my normal jeans. Some people, some of, you, some of y'all come to church, man. It looked like you rolled out of bed and put on your cleanest, dirty clothes, man. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes just get a shirt that, that you hadn't worn in the last three days. Maybe, you know, I don't know, it's a thought. They put on their, and then, so you've got this little village of Bethlehem, little bitty, bitty, tiny village of Bethlehem. And into this little village, you have this entourage of something they'd never seen before. And people know they're coming because word is spread. And they may be out in little streets, but the streets are narrow. They'll get on the rooftops because like us out here, they had those flat roofs. And they're just looking. And here comes this amazing entourage of Persians. I mean, you've got soldiers and you've got servants and you've got these magnificent wise men. And they go through the streets and the stars reappear. Now the stars leading them. Right to the house, and they come to the house. 
And whoever was the chief servant or maybe the chief soldier, they would lead the way. They went down and they knocked on the door to see who was there and make sure it's the right place. And there's Mary. And there's Joseph. And there's this baby, a few weeks old, maybe a few months old. And they tell them what's about to happen. And so she sits down and she holds Jesus. And then they go, starting with the oldest. And one by one, those wise men dismount. And with the help of their servants, they walk into this little house, probably not much bigger than this stage. Men who lived in palaces and villas came into this little house. And then those men who served the true king, those men who were honored themselves, did something they had never done before. They got on their knees before a human. And it wasn't simply that they acknowledged him as king. Scripture says they worshipped him. They took their nose and they would put it on the ground. And the word worship means to bow before, and it's almost always exclusively used in the New Testament and the Gospels. And they worshipped not a baby. They worshipped not simply a king. They worshipped the Lord. Because you only worship the Lord. Every one of them did that. And then they all caught up one by one and went back until they were three. And then one of the servants came and bought the gold and the incense and the myrrh. And I know sermons are preached all the time about the significance. The significance doesn't matter. What matters is what they did. And then they left. They had worshipped him and left. You realize anybody can worship Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, in Luke's story, you know who came to worship Jesus the night he was born? Shepherds. I mean, they were the exact opposite of wise men. They were Jews. They were poor. You couldn't trust them. They were dirty. They were filthy. I guarantee you what they were wearing wasn't nice at all. They didn't bring anything. All they brought with them was a little drummer boy. That's all they had with them. <laughs> that way the oxen sheep could keep time. <laughs> no matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how much you know, how much you don't know. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter any of that. All that ever matters is that you come to Jesus. All that ever matters is you bow and worship him as Lord. And verse 12 tells us this. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. They didn't care about Herod. They, God warned them and they left. God is always in control. God is always sovereign. No man, no Herod, no Jewish leaders, not you, not me. None of us ever control God. He does what he does when he wants to in the way he wants to. And Christmas reminds us of that. Here's what God decided to do. He decided to come be with us. Not in grandeur, not in splendor. He left all that. The second person of the Trinity that's always existed, the Son, became something he had never become before. He became flesh and dwelt among us and lived. And he came just like we do. He came into this earth through a birth. It was a little different because it was a supernatural birth, but it was still a birth, a supernatural conception, but it was still a normal, everyday birth. And he lived among us. But the difference between you and I is that people came to worship him because he is Lord. Our journey brings us here today. 
It's from all the backgrounds that we come from. And all the, all the different groups and different ways we traveled here, we all traveled here one way or the other. And there's so many things in life we go through, and we all have to deal with Jesus some way. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, and I accepted Christ when I was young. Some of you have done that, but unlike me, you didn't accept Christ. You grew up in a Christian environment, and you reacted negatively to that, and I can get it. Because I looked at the environment I grew up in, and I saw my church sometimes, I look back and say, man, we did things really bad. We were just this religion sometimes instead of a faith, but still, there was always Jesus. Some of you struggle. I got it. You had no background with Christ, no background in Christianity, and this is all new to you. And I understand some of you don't believe you're here because you had to tag along, and I get it. I do. Man, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I'd be so skeptical. It's not even, it's not even funny. But I am a follower, and I'm not skeptical. You don't have to be that way either. See, all of us come to Jesus through our different backgrounds and our different ways. And we all come thinking that we are on our terms. But we are never coming on our terms. We are always coming on God's terms. The path he chose. The path you chose. The path that got you here today. And all of us come from families of some sort. Some are great family life. Some are lousy. There were marriages this year. There'll be new marriages next year. Some of you came from broken marriages this year and broken homes this year. And there was death this year and there was birth this year. And there was success this year and there was failure this year. And there was victory this year and there was loss this year. And there were times you felt like everyone loves you and there were times you felt so lonely this year. And you come to Jesus just like the Magi. But when you come to Jesus, understand, there's only two ways to respond, and you must respond. You can reject him. That's what Herod did. That's what the religious leaders did. They said, we don't, we don't need him. It wasn't just Herod in violent opposition. It was the religious leaders who thought everything was okay in their own life, who thought they had all the system they needed. They had the rules. They had the regulations. They followed them. They believed in God. Everything was okay. Only it wasn't. And you know that in your life. You can try to convince yourself it's okay. You can try to convince the people you love that it's okay. You can say me and God are tight, or you know, me and God have an understanding, or me and God are this, but God ain't a part of that. It's just you. And you know it's just you. And you're a long way from God because you've rejected him. And it doesn't have to be that way. Not anymore. Because the other thing you can do with Jesus is you can receive him. And you can worship him. Just like the Magi. You don't have to be a king. You don't have to be all that smart. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be anything but willing to bow down and proclaim he is Lord. And to give your life to follow him. And the reason you would do that today on Christmas Eve is because Jesus is the one. He is the one who is the one. He is the one who saves. He is the one who is God. He is the one who is Lord, the one you worship, and ultimately the one you must follow. So this Christmas, whatever else happens, understand this. Jesus is Lord, Lord over every single person, over every single thing. And ultimately, 
He is Lord over you. In your life is a journey to follow him as Lord. Do you follow him as Lord? Today you can. No matter what your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what your journey looks like before, now it can look like the wise men. You can be the ones who follow. I'm going to be here in a moment. A couple others will be up here. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you can. You want to join our church, you can. If you want to pray with us, you can. Whatever the Lord wants you to do. But this Christmas, and you're going to walk out of here, I got it. And there's celebrating, and there's gifts, and there's food, and, and there's fighting, and <laughs> everything else. Some of you got to go sit at the children's table. I got it. But when you walk out of here today, on Christmas Eve, be sure you walk out of here following Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, Father, it's Christmas. God, what a celebration. Thank you. Thank you we get to celebrate Christmas. Thank you it's festive. Thank you there's joy. Sometimes, Father, there's sadness. But it's Christmas. And mostly about Christmas is Jesus. And nothing matters more than Jesus. Nothing. So God, like the wise men, let us do the only thing that we really can do. Let us worship Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us follow him and give our life to him today. Because he is the one. He is the one we follow. Amen. Would you stand?